Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Gagan Pod in Conversation. Another walk down memory lane and another bit of talk about football fun as we get through this isolation period together. David Wiener with you once again, joined by Michael Bridges, my co-pilot, standing by as always, but... Glad to be joined once again by Thomas Sorensen as well. Lots to talk about, lots to reminisce about. Let's get into it. Bridgie, welcome back. Another another busy day at the coalface, just fresh from your... Another trivia defeat, but you're hanging in there as well, doing great stuff every night on Sport. How are you going this morning? Yeah, I'm fantastic this morning, Dave. Even after a defeat, it was, it's been brilliant, you know. Every night, nine o'clock, off the sport, the isolation football trivia, you know, going up against John Aloisi, Mark Schwarzer. And, you know, the public have been joining in on the, on the Facebook Live, and it's been fantastic. I had a bit of interaction with them, and there's some knowledgeable people out there. We're meant to be the experts, Dave, and we get humiliated every bloody night. So it's, but it's something that I really look forward to, and I think a lot of people have as well. And John Aloisi was the first to five last night, so our me and Swartzy will be making a donation to his foundation, and we restart again um, for the next every night for the next however long we decide <laughs> to do that for. So a redemption is in order, mate, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Yeah, good stuff, good fun, a good laugh every night too. Not too serious either. Um, Thomas, welcome back. I, it actually dawned on me that the, this is a bit. This is where you sort of realise how time stood still. The last podcast we did at Optus in person yeah, yeah. that was the last day I was at Optus out of not working from home that was with you and John after Atletico Madrid beat Liverpool what a crazy time how are you holding up yeah no it's, it's definitely you know new times you need to adapt to and uh, you know it's a different way of, of family life and diff- different way of work life and then you know, you got to find your, your pockets. Obviously, there's no uh, live sports. That's absolutely killing me at the moment. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's some, uh, again, memory lane. There's some, some great old games on, on Optus that you can sort of dive into. And uh, I had a, a sneak peek at a, a few of few of my former games, uh, <laughs> which, which, which was both good and bad. But, uh, you know, all these things, uh, it's just a new way of life and you adapt to it. And, uh, you know, I'm holding up well. and But definitely looking forward to uh, getting back to Optus and getting back on, on, on around the desk and do the podcast there instead of uh, here online. Oh, it'll be good to see Don't you. Don't say that, Tommy. I've never I'm seen quite you again. Enjoy- <laughs> 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 I'm enjoying not having to do a two-hour drive. You're killing me. <laughs> So I, I, I bet you, I bet you though, Thomas, you must have still cycled about a hundred thousand million kilometers on, on on the bike though in this time. <laughs> yeah, you got to stay fit, and uh, yeah, and I've actually uh, ramped it up a little bit now. You, you got time, and uh, it, it's just a you know, it gives you that little bit of uh, you know, hour, two, three hours, um, you know, away from uh, from the the, the sort of. Uh, family household and uh, you know that that's great you know we all need our little space within the, the bigger space and uh, you know it seems you know all family members are finding their own little niche where they can sort of slip off to and uh, and have a bit of quiet time and uh, mine are, yeah it's been a lot on the bike and uh, I'm enjoying it. Very good very good well back into some football because as you said we are we've got a bit to try and fill that void for the for the live sport that's not there and but interestingly, though, the world still goes on in pockets. And Bridget, I want to come to you just off the top on, I guess, a little bit of developing news that's going on in the UK around Newcastle United, one of your former clubs. We touched yeah. on it at the end of last week's podcast, but things have really ramped up since then where it looks like the purchase of Newcastle United by the Saudi Arabia consortium or 80% Saudi Arabia consortium with 10% from two various other parties within the UK Checks have been exchanged, the deposits paid. It's basically in the hands of the Premier League right now. Um, just wanted to get your reaction to that really looking like it's a done deal now. Um, and Newcastle United, owned by the richest 
owners in the Premier League? It's, yeah, I mean, listen, Dave, you've just mentioned there, there has been a deposit paid um, in the region believed to be around £70 million. So regardless whether the deal goes through or not, I think some of that money will end up in Mike Ashley's pocket. He is a shrewd businessman. He's a smart businessman. And this has been floating around for a year, if not longer. Amanda Stevely trying to get the deal done when Rafa Benitez was first there. It's all come at the forefront now. If there's any time to buy a club, um, now is not the time, Dave, in the current climate because the amount of money that is getting exchanged. So I think, or the rumours that I've heard, is that the deposit is there. They're waiting for everything to cool down. They're waiting to get the green light from the Premier League, like you say. They are waiting for COVID to ease the pressure because that amount of money that is getting exchanged in the current climate, there will be a massive backlash from this. Um, and I think regarding all governments around the world and a lot of, uh, especially the media, so they'll wait for that to ease. And I, I really think that this is a done deal. And Newcastle will become the wealthiest club in world football if this deal goes through and when it does go through. So it's huge news. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of text messages from ex-players. Robbie Elliott on the WhatsApp group, was uh, he's living in America. And he was straight on saying, have you seen the news? Can you believe this is going to go through? And, you know, there's a lot of excitement. Lee Clark as well, because they're, they're black and white um, through and through. They're from that area. And they're, they're very excited because they've seen it under the Kevin Keegan era when there was money to be spent and what Keegan almost achieved with the team of superstars. And, you know, the, the fans are looking forward to this happening because there's still a lot of hatred for Mike Ashley and that football club from the fans because of some of the deals that he has done for this football club and behind the scenes. I mean, there's a chance to wake up the sleeping giant, but do you have any discomfort about the nature of the ownership at all? Personally, I don't, Dave, um, because if that kind of money is coming into football at this current time, I'm hoping that a lot of that with the FA can think, how can this help us filter down the leagues? And this is, our, this is my mindset and thinking because there's going to be a lot of clubs that are going to be struggling at this moment in time, we know. And it could be a little bit of a gap. There could be, the, the Premier League are looking into this. There could be something that potentially can be done where some of this money could go to secure some of them clubs or, or feed down to the lower division. So I'm all for it. It's going to give the Newcastle region and some of them juniors a massive opportunity um, there'll be some work done at the training ground, no doubt whatsoever. And um, I'm, I'm all for it because um, I've seen a lot of things happen at Newcastle, at St. James's Park, with, with ex-players of mine that have been banished from St. James's due to this part, this ownership at this moment in time under Mike Ashley. So anybody that can come in and get this guy moved on for the benefit of Newcastle United, then so be it. Who takes charge, Thomas? It's uh, Steve Bruce has got the job now, but we've seen it when Mourinho, we've seen it when... Uh, Mancini when he was uh, at, at Manchester City with Syria at Paris Saint-Germain. There's always a big statement. Um, I've seen Richard Pochettino's name, uh, Allegri's name. Uh, what, what, what do you suspect might happen from a footballing point of view when this eventually um, gets back in, in, in order? Yeah, and I, I think we can agree that uh, I don't think Steve Bruce is the face of, uh, of the richest club. But, uh, <laughs> and the style that he plays uh, is probably not what they're looking for. Uh, so, so I think, you know, when this goes through, as Bridget says, um, you know, I'm sure they'll be looking at a Pochettino or they'll be looking at someone with the right image, with the right style, with the right management of players, uh, because, you know, they, they, they'll be looking to bring in big names. You need someone who can handle it, uh, who's handled it in the past. And, um, you know, I think, you know, some of the names you mentioned there will be, will be top candidates and, and it'll be a very attractive job. You know, who, who doesn't want to go in this situation? You know, I've, you know, I'm not a fan of Newcastle, but uh, they have some uh, great atmosphere up there. The fans are, you know, uh, they just need a spark and it'll be a, you know, it'll be a party atmosphere up there. And, and um, you know, you, you need someone who can come in there. And, uh, but it'll be attractive for sure, definitely. So, so these, these Tommy, kind I, of want to go. I agree with what you have just said there. They, when you have that amount of money at hand to spend, I am not taking anything away from Steve Bruce and his team up there. They have done an amazing job on a shoestring budget. And, you know, they've, they've blown everybody away. He was under pressure from day one when he came in after Rafa Benitez. It was almost like, you know, it was, he was almost fed to the wolves. You're going to go in here and you're going to fail. He's turned it around. He's done amazing. But when you're talking about the egos and the names and the connections that you need in the world game when you're signing players, if Newcastle do 
get this kind of deal to go through where you need to attract the best players in the world and you're not playing Champions League football. Somebody with the kudos, the mentality that has been with them and the connections and the relationship with these players' agents, that is going to be vital. And that is why I think that a big, a big manager will come. And that's exactly what they will be looking at across the board. Now, Steve has that with the English game. Does he have that on the worldwide stage? I don't believe he does, but um, he's done a, no doubt he's done an amazing job. I would like to see him keep it, but I can't see it. The financial fair play, just given Newcastle's recent history, will mean it's a bit of a slower explosion than, say, when Abramovich came in at Chelsea or, or City first, wherever we go on their splash, cash splash. But um, how transformative are your ex-teammates and, and the people you've spoken to feeling like this will be? Can this catapult Newcastle, will this catapult Newcastle the same way it did for Chelsea, for Manchester City and the clubs that have benefited from this kind of ownership? Sorry, Dave, was that for me or Tommy? Yeah, for you. For you. From what you've heard from yeah. you know, the, 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 buzz amongst, the buzz amongst basically the Newcastle oh, cohort. The, bu- the buzz is absolutely huge because it's, you know, the fans have waited so long for some form of success. Uh, and uh, me and Tommy have experienced Sunderland. There's two clubs up there in that northeast. There's Sunderland till I uh, Sunderland till I die. There you go. The documentary on Netflix. It shows the passion in the region. Now, them fans will go to them games and they will cheer you on. They will support you because the region thrives off the success of the football clubs. It gives people hope. It gives people belief. Sunderland went through a similar thing with the guy short, the American owner. When he didn't show up at games, you know, the faithful, they lose their drive for that football club. They don't want to feed the pockets of these people. And that's where it's become uh, unintangible with Mike Ashley at this moment in time. With the, the fans are going just to support the players. And if they don't have to go and support Mike Ashley, they won't. So the buzz around it happening now is absolutely huge because they want to see the best players play. They will turn up now regardless. And the, the, like I say, the being in the northeast it is just people's lives. People work to go to them football games, and they deserve every bit of this. I just wish there was a little bit of portion was able to go back towards Sunderland, that we'd have both teams back in the same division, the Premier League, and get them because there's nothing better than a northeast derby that me and Tommy have experienced. Because the whole week leading up to it, if not month, there's two games they look forward to. Can they beat their rivals? So. I'm all for this, Dave. I'm very excited. And the ex-players are as well, because I think a lot of the ex-players from Newcastle United will be used as club ambassadors. I work for Leeds United as an ambassador. Since they've had Andrea take over, he realised he needed the he needed to do the new um, boxes. He needed to get the sponsorship lounges better, because that's where the revenue is. He got the ex-players involved to go in them lounges. And unfortunately, Mike Ashley does that, but not on a massive scale like he should be doing. And that's what's the big thing why the players are excited to be part of their football club again. Okay, well, last time I'm going to go to both of you, Thomas first, and uh, I'll let you open the checkbook because we've we've been we've been talking so <laughs> we've been talking so nostalgic in the past. Let's just have a bit of fun for a second and go into fantasy land. I saw a very funny someone had mocked up a Newcastle team the other day, and it had Messi, Ronaldo. <laughs> And Ibrahim, just name whoever you want to sign and have them all in it. If you have to choose a realistic target that you would go in in world football that you can get uh, for a price that can build a club around, sort of mark a new era, um, who would you both go for? Oh, my word. Tommy, oh. over to you, mate. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, um, you know, I, I think it, it, it'll be hard from the start to get the, the absolute top players because they, they want to move into a situation that's already set, that's already competitive. Uh, you know, here you're looking at a, at a rebuild, you can say. You know, you're looking at, you know, adding pieces and slowly growing Newcastle into a top five uh, Premier League team and Champions League uh, year in and year out. Um, so, so, so you've got to look at, uh, you know, trying to find... Uh, not a Koulibaly, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, I think he could potentially go unless he, he again, has ambitions straight away to go into the Champions League. But, but he would be one uh, that you could build a team around and then add some skilled players uh, going forward, uh, try to find some young players, uh, Sancho, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, Haaland, if they can fly him away from, <laughs> from Dortmund. Yeah. You know, trying to... To get players that are not quite there yet, but uh, who has ambitions and, and wouldn't be, you know, wouldn't be 
you know, shying away from a year or two without, uh, you know, fighting for the championship. Because I think that's realistically what Newcastle are looking at. I don't think they'll be straight up there. She's saying that they can't just buy and spend, um, you know, uh, whatever they want. They, they need to be within the regulation. So it'll take a bit of time. And the reason it's going to take a bit longer, Dave, um, is having been in the inner sanctum there, worked there, um, and played there and seen a lot of my ex ex-mates that are actually there working. There's a guy called Lee Fraser who set up the scout and recruitment there with Charlie Woods. And they kind of went on a moneyball um, experiment. So what Newcastle have gone, you'll very rarely see them buy anybody over the age of 26. You will see that they come from French divisions. They, they monitor five or six leagues, I do believe, around the world where they look for under-25s that have got all these stats and statistics that pop up when they need players and they're monitoring them leagues. Now, it, it's very interesting. It's got its, it's got its pluses. It's got its negatives. They, they look to get players in that they can then potentially make money on and sign. Now, Joe Linton was, a, was one of the extremes. Obviously, <laughs> the stats didn't work and that the money was, was spent. Um, but it, it was a system that Newcastle have used. Now, I'm not sure if them boys are still there or not, but that's what it was. And I remember talking to Lee about Aaron Moy. I spoke to Leeds United about Aaron Moy when he was in the A-League. I spoke to Newcastle United and, I, and the, the reference that came back to me from Newcastle United was, he's not on our radar, he's not on our system. So what happens? City sign him, loan him to Huddersfield, they play Newcastle United first game of the season. Who scores two goals? Aaron Moy. Who rings me? Oh, is that the boy you mentioned to us? Yes, well, it's, it's too late. Well, we want to sign him now. So it, it just shows you that these systems don't work. So Newcastle have got to... United have still got a huge issue to sort out off the field with that kind of thing. Um, don't get us wrong, it has worked in the past. They've made money from it. But when you are talking about having this kind of money, them systems go out the window. You still need some security and safety nets. But the scout and recruitment system now has got to go global. It's got to go worldwide. So it's going to be very interesting to see who they sign. I like what Tommy said about Koulibaly and also to go for youngsters. Um, a lot of people at the end of their careers or in the, the peaks want to play Champions League football. Newcastle won't have that luxury. So they're going to have to be very diligent where they get it. And I think, Dave, they might go along the lines of using players that are coming up to their six month and doing a lot of Bosman signings. Because then you don't have to spend all that money and give it to a club plus the player's wages. You are just paying the player his wages and that transfer fee is rolled into that. It's a, it's a good way of doing business. By the way, guys, before we actually go to the other side of the fence and talk about Sunderland, um, I'm also intrigued from a former player's point of view how the uncertainty at this time would be affecting people with their transfers. I know that people sort of said that anyone whose contract expires, because we're really not going to finish the season by June 30, anyone whose contract expires will now go to the end of the season. But can, can you talk us through any times in your career where you had what would have been traditional contact contract uncertainty let alone now, and how that affects things. And I'm just thinking this in light of what you've just said there, Bridgie. I read this morning some more, you know, transfer gossip about um, Philip Coutinho going to Chelsea. And I think I'm thinking, how can this possibly still be happening right now when no one actually knows when, how long, when the season start? What's that period like where you actually don't know where your uh, next club or next move is going to be? I'll go to you first, Thomas. Uh, yeah, no, you know, it's, it's part of, um, you know, uh, you know decision-making and, and you're looking at, at all different factors. Obviously, your family life, your security, uh, you know, injuries. Uh, you know, there, there's so many things that can happen in, in a short space of time. And, uh, you know, I, I think when you always, always when you come to the end of your contract, uh, and especially in a, I could only imagine in a situation like this where you, you don't know what, options will be at the end of it because what clubs uh, will struggle what's the money going to be like because you know what you're on now but that that doesn't guarantee you anything going down you know you know going down the line so uh, it brings a lot of stress um, and a lot of yeah uncertainty for family and um, and uh, I've been in it but not to this extent in, in any sort of way yeah, it's, it's not easy. I mean, I, I experienced it, Dave, when I left Leeds United in the last six months of my contract to go for the last six months up to Newcastle United on loan uh, when Bobby Robson was in charge there. And I'll never forget Bobby Robson. The, he said, listen, I, I'm going to give you another year's contract. 
Um, I want to see the best of you. I've only seen six months. You're coming back from rehabilitation. You're still not the fitness levels I want to see you. So that was really reassuring to hear. And that took my foot off the pedal and kind of thought, you know what it is? I know I'm going to get another contract here at Newcastle United. I'm not going to look around anywhere else. And the conversation that I received off Bobby Robson at the end of the season when he rang me up and said, can I have a chat with you or you're sitting down? And I thought, oh, this doesn't sound good. He actually says, I'm going to have to renege on that offer that I told you about, Michael. And I was well upset about that. And Bobby kept trying to say, I will make this up to you. I'll find you another club. I'll help you get it. And he was, he was honest with us. And he never told, he, you know, he said it's come from the above. It's come from um, the shepherds. They're, they're, they're looking to do other things. So that really hurt. But what I didn't realize is this, this shows the mentality of Bobby Robson. I phoned my father not long after that conversation said, oh, you know, I'm good. We need to find another club. I'm really stressed. I've got this. I've got the mortgage to pay. I've got the family to look after. I've got no club. I've got no contract. What do we do? And he says, have you not heard the news, son? I said, no. He said, Bobby Robson's actually been sacked from Newcastle United. And that shows the manner of the man. He was more bothered about myself rather than he didn't want to tell me he'd been sacked. He was worried about the players that he wanted to keep there the following season. So that was... that. That kind of softened the blow because you realise it's not just about you. There was other things at hand here. Bobby was going through a similar thing. He'd just been sacked. So it kind of become a little bit um, easier to handle. Uh, but then you, I really did have to scramble to find another club after that. And it was Bolton Wanderers I ended up going to with Sam Allardyce. So we spoke about Newcastle at length just before, guys. On the other side of the fence, I'm going to take us down memory lane in a second. Thomas, how would Sunderland fans, though, be feeling right now seeing all the news about what their great rivals are about to go through? <laughs> uh, I don't think that would be, be very pleased. Be very, uh, you know, envious, um, obviously. Um, the, the, the troubles at Sunderland is well recorded uh, with the uh, Netflix documentary. And, and you know, it's, it's really, um, you know, we're sitting here in Australia and, and it, you know, with the feelings that, you know, both me and Bridget have for the club. It, it, it's a really sad side because, you know, I think Bridget laid it out really well, how much it means to, to the fans out there, to the people, you know, how big a part of, of their lives um, the football clubs are. Uh, so there will be one side of the Northeast that will be uh, extremely excited. Um, but at the moment, uh, sadly, the, the Mackham side is, is uh, subdued and uh, going through... Uh, you know, torrid times financially on the pitch, um, and um, yeah, it, it's a sad thing to see uh, because we uh, we remember the good times. Uh, we we were part of of, of the sort of the the last uh, you know at least uh, part of, of successful success, yeah, successful part of, of, of the club and. And how great it was, you know that that and that's that's what I, you know, I got my fingers crossed that that someone can can get back there and, and have these derbies because that that's what it's all about, you know. As much as Sunderland fans say to each other, they they need they, they still love that uh, rivalry, and at the moment it's not a rivalry because <laughs> they play so far apart. Yeah. And uh, you know what I'm hoping, Tommy, that the, the actual documentary on Netflix, Sun Until I Die, it kind of, it's global now. And I'm hoping that it kickstarts something where if people have seen, if there is any investors out there in the world, they've seen a taste of Sun, they've seen a side of it, they've seen the size of the training ground, they've seen the facilities, they've seen the stadium. And they've seen what a big, you know, the, the, the new owners that came in, to witness the, them change the actual culture of the club, the mindset. Because that music me and you used to run out to at that stadium when it was packed, that was electric. Now, when I saw them thinking of changing that and turning it into a bloody rave and a disco tech, I'm thinking, are, they, are these guys, are they serious? Are they insane? It was needed. Um, to do a massive shift like that, it had become such a neg negative symbol. Um, for It wasn't a fortress anymore. So that was a huge thing. That's what I took out of the documentary. I, I think they were brilliant the way they just went and analyzed the club from top to bottom and got rid of the dead wood regarding staff and all the things that weren't working and got that. Now it's a bit of a clean slate. It's in a, it's in a nice position. I'm hoping that there is some owners or potential buyers out there that see this as a, as a thing and as a, a big investment and go, you know what it is? Let's take them back to where, where they belong and get, take, if it's happening with Newcastle, 
let's see if we can do it with Sunderland. That is the only hope that the fans at this moment in time can have and hold on to because they will be hurting the situation they are in at this moment. Potential promotion this season as well, Dave, with the COVID getting stopped. Um, they won a great run under Parkinson towards the back end of the season. That, that was the time and was coming there. So again, it's just another year of, of hurt for the fans and um, they need something. Yeah, two clubs that you just sense uh, sleeping giants waiting to be run well. One now has a bit more money, the other with work to do. I want to take you guys back. Thomas, I had a bit of a look at your Instagram a couple of, I think it was last week, and you're celebrating 21, a 21-year 21 anniversary of a promotion that both of you guys enjoyed. Can you take me down that memory lane and that moment, that experience, uh, such a highlight in your career? <laughs> yeah, but I, like for me, that whole season was uh, uh, from from the start. I, I got signed from Denmark, uh, you know, an unknown. Uh, they would had two a French goalkeeper and a Dutch goalkeeper the season before. Missed out Sunderland uh, in the playoff final. Uh, so a lot of pressure on that that season. And um, you know, I was brought in, given a chance. Uh, you know, I learned further down the line that it was really, you know. You know, they, they were they had given me like two or three games, and if I hadn't produced anything, they, they would have uh, looked to have added some more goalkeeping strength. But uh, yeah, and no, I I came in at a time that huge, obviously excitement. Um, you know, I remember the first game we played against QPR. For me, you know, I had played in the first division in Denmark with, you know, probably about seven eight hundred people for every game, and then you you stand at the Stadium of Light, and and there's well, there was about forty five thousand, forty six thousand there on on the first first day and uh, I was pretty nervous uh, I remember you know sitting in a dressing room and uh, you know I was told as a kid you know you've you got to show your seriousness in Denmark you have to you can't you can't walk around a dressing room laughing and uh, spilling jokes and, and and that's sort of the sense I, I, I remember sitting in the corner you know towel over my head just like really focused and I remember now Quinn who's who's uh, obviously a hugely experienced player came over and you know you know, had a chat to me and like, are you okay? You know, you look a bit tense. And, um, so that was an introduction to, uh, you know, just that loose being that there was in a dressing room, but then also the change when you got to the tunnel, uh, then everything changed, you know, walk over, as soon as the, you walked across the lines, uh, you know, people, all the humor, all the relaxed uh, atmosphere was gone. Then it was pure business. And, and that was something I learned that first season. And we always had huge success. Uh, you know, Bridgie uh, had a really, really good season as well. And uh, and we were just went from strength to strength. And, and that picture is from Bury, uh, where we clinched uh, promotion. Uh, I think, uh, did we win 4-2, I think? Um, and, uh, you know, just a huge relief for everyone. In the dressing room, in these small, like, you just got to imagine this typical English, uh, small, uh, <laughs> not particularly glamorous dressing room. And, and we were bouncing around in champagne uh, flowing everywhere. And, um, you know, it was just a culmination to, of a fantastic season. We had a great team spirit, great team, uh, great individuals who came up uh, big at, at the right times. Uh, you know, Kevin Phillips, uh, Niall Quinn, uh, Bridgie supporting, uh, you know, and, and, you know, just every player played their part. And it was, it was fantastic to be part of. And, you know, looking at that picture, uh, it just brings in a, a lot of memories. Because I'll, I'll never forget the, the things that I used to remember in that dressing room. And I do remember you having the towel. We all thought that he was doing, you know, when you get a bit sick and you need to do a steam and you put the towel over the hot water and the lads were getting a bit worried. And then as he took it, you know, you've got a big stature of a man in Tommy. He was, you know, he's huge, he's gigantic and he's, he's got these shoulders on him. And uh, I remember he got up and after, he, after Quiddy or whatever, I can't, couldn't remember it was Quiddy, he'd had a chat with him, he took it off. It was Casper the ghost. He just looked pale, and he, I'm thinking, oh, my God, this guy's nervous. But I'll tell you what, once he got over that white line and he was on the field and he had his game head on, I knew we – because we'd had some good keepers, and I knew we, we'd signed an absolute gem, and it was that extra little niche that, um, that you know, people – I think – I'm not sure if I'm wrong here with coaches-wise, but I, I don't think a lot of fans value goalkeepers. And as you, as you play and you understand the game and you realise the teams you've had success, success with, you've always had – a quality goalkeeper um, and I think they're a, they're a key part I, I call the goalkeepers a key part and the number six that defensive midfielder who screens the back four I know it's a team game but if you can get that core of your team bang on and um, that's what we had we, we had that when Tommy turned up so yeah I've got one for you I don't know if you can see this Tommy 
I've just come across this picture of me and Peter Reid. Can you get that on there or not? In the training ground. It actually looks like we're having a dance. So I interviewed him the other day and he was saying, have you got any pictures, lad? Have you got any pictures? It was back in the day. So I found that one. It looks like one strictly come dancing. So I had, I had a good chat with Peter Reid and we were having a real trip down. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Memory lane and um, he actually apologised for the for the amount of language that he used in the dressing room directed towards me uh, in particular. <laughs> so, do you remember some of his antics? Yeah, I, I remember a few sprays coming my direction as well. I think everyone yeah. got their <laughs> share, and uh, yeah, you got immune to it after a while. And uh, uh, you know, it, it was just part of the culture. And he was so passionate, and uh, I think he spread through the team. Uh, he was great at getting any, everyone, uh, you know, it, it was, for me, the, the, the awakening was also the, you know, it was still a bit of the, the old English culture when I joined. Uh, I was more like, I think yeah. I was the only foreigner, really, um, after the, 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 the few that, that left from the season before. And, and uh, it was just, a, you know, you went to the pub on a Tuesday, uh, not every Tuesday, but, but, but you had those social gatherings. Most Tuesdays. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's be honest. Uh, and and those things you don't see anymore. But it brought people together. Everyone knew each other really well. Um, so that means when we came to crunch time on on a Saturday or on a Sunday, whenever we played, uh, and, and and the game was on the line, everyone just gave those extra few percent yeah. to help out your mates. And uh, and that's probably one of the things that are missing. Uh, even though the game is a lot faster, you know, they're a lot fitter, you know, a lot more well prepared. But but you. You see a lot of clubs like Sunderland, like Stoke City, where you know I've I've played for a long time. Uh, you know they they struggle to get that dressing room, that feel. They, they struggle to get that uh, culture right, um, and that's probably some of the things that that's been lost. Uh, are definitely a lot harder to to get right. I'll take you one more thing, Dave. Sorry, I just want to talk. Can you? The yeah. one thing that always used to scare the hell out of me, Tommy, in that dressing room, and that was in our own dressing room, and that was Kevin Ball. When he put that armband on, he got the Vicks on his fingers and he shoved them up his nose. You knew that was his game face. But when he started braying that door, I don't know how that door stayed in the tinges, mate, for the whole season because here he was mental. So any, any fond memories of Borley? Yeah, no, he's just a, you know, a, a, a great character. I Actually, the funnest memory I have was after we got promoted. I don't know if you remember, we had a, we had a, a promotion party uh, in in Whitburn or, or something, uh, and and we were you know semi drunk as we were after that celebration, and and we were driving back. Uh, no, I know it was a red and white ball we had at the stadium, and yeah. uh, uh, and and we were driving back in a taxi, and I'm looking out the window, sort of half asleep, and I see this this guy in a red and white costume walking along the motorway, <laughs> and I'm like, who is this guy? And and we actually stop and turn. It, it's it's the captain. So he he decided uh, yeah he'd had enough. He just started walking home. <laughs> yeah. It was about a two o'clock in the morning. Trip. He's doing like a ten kilometer walk. Uh, okay, maybe that was yeah. So that was just Probably the character was it. like just yeah, just get on with it. Let's do it. <laughs> he would have been trying to sober up before he got in because his wife would have given him that then, not the door. <laughs> Brilliant. Thomas, when you talk about the culture and some of those great memories you have that you think maybe aren't as easy to find in the modern game, um, was it just, uh, can you explain a little bit more what you mean by that, what that difference is? Is it the money now? Is it people from all around the world that you know are just on the transit to another club a bit later on? Um, what can you put your finger on that made that time special? Um, I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of players had been at a club for a while. So, so you had a, a good core. Um, um, but, but I think those, 
you know, just being socially a lot more together. Um, it, it just brings everyone obviously closer. Uh, you, you, you know, when you're emotionally involved with people, um, it, it just, you know, makes you care more. Uh, and, and I think it's definitely some of the things that I sort of um, at least saw during my long career was that, that you got players that, uh, that didn't care. You know, they, they were there, you know, either to pick up a, a check and, um, and, and when things didn't go well. And that's when you see the true faces. You know, everyone is happy when you're winning. But, but when you're not winning, um, people's personal uh, agendas come up and, uh, you know, money plays a part. Um, and, and, and all those things can, can quickly disjoint a dressing room. Um, and, and, and it wasn't something that, you know, we, we had players at, at, at Sunderland that didn't play, probably should have been playing, but they bought they, they They were part of the team. They, 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 uh, they were there for the bigger picture. Um, you know, waiting for their chance, um, and and they won't cause in trouble. But I, you know, I, I seem seems like that the the amount of players causing trouble in the dressing room has been growing. Uh, uh, and I, I saw it uh, at, at at Stoke City, um, and I also saw it, um, you know, uh, at Aston Villa for for a while. Um, you know, at, at even at Melbourne City. Uh, it, it's just a it, it's something that's hard to deal with for for managers, and and it's hard to to, unless you have a really, really strong cause. And I think that's for all clubs now is they, you know, we were talking about Newcastle, uh, you know, building a, a team now. It's to get that core right. Players with the right mentality, the right stature, uh, that, that people will follow, a, a strong manager that people will follow, uh, who can keep everyone in line. I think that that's just become even more important now in the modern game because if you don't have that, uh, things fall apart and you see that all over the place. Well, Bridget, I imagine having Noel Quinn and Kevin Phillips to look up to or as the statesman of the team, that would have played a key part. What was it like as, like as a, a young whippersnapper trying to take their place back in the day? Well, to be fair, Dave, the season before Kevin came, it was a case of pre-season, can you take my place, mate? And he did. He was absolutely magic. Um, he embraced it. He came from the lower leagues. So what, what, what we had, like Tommy said, the, the players, we had a bond and a culture. Now, times have changed. Teams can't go out and get in the drink when they're in the limelight. You know, you can't be seen out, out nightclubbing. So they've had to evolve in different ways, whether, you know, whether it's through Zoom, whether it's getting online and playing their PlayStation games, or whether it's getting together socially in their own houses where, they, where you know, they, they can have a drink, but they're, not, they're away from the press and everything. So the game has changed in that, in that thing. But at Sunderland, we knew our positions. There was two players in every position that we had. We had the dynamics. There was no animosity um, amongst the, the boys. There was competitiveness. And I think that stemmed from our captain and from a manager who, who drived whatever we did in the training park. You weren't going to slack, slack off. You had to perform like you were going to play. Um, and that came from the top. So I knew my place. And I, I, there was nothing better than having a battle with Kevin Phillips. You know, I knew if Kev was injured or suspended, I would be in and I had to take my opportunity. We had Danny Diccio, who was tall, like very like Niall Quinn. If Quinny was injured, Danny would come in. So we knew our roles and responsibilities in that, in that squad. It wasn't just the 11 that were on the field. And, you know, that, that's something that I haven't seen at many other clubs I've been to where there was that kind of respect, um, it, you know, without the, what do you call it, the backstabbing going on. It was just a fantastic environment. We got on with it and we, that's why we had success because people understood their roles. I knew I was playing second fiddle to Kevin Quinney. And the year we got promoted back to the Premier League for the second time after missing out, that was the time when I'd heard Tottenham Hotspur and Leeds United were interested in signing myself. And I thought, you know what it is? I'm, I'm, I've come up here through as a youngster. There's an opportunity here to go to a potentially bigger club or clubs that have been and had success longer in the Premier League. And it was an opportunity I wasn't going to turn down, Dave, because it was a fresh slate. And it was, I knew if we're going to the Premier League, I would have been behind Kevin Quinney again. So it was a, it was a, big, um, it was a big move for a, a young age, but it was something that needed to be done. But I was really, really pleased that I'd gone into a Leeds United dressing room that felt very similar because we were a lot younger as well. The lads were together as well. But after that, I very, very the clubs that I went through, it, I couldn't replicate what I um, the squad characteristics 
that we'd had at um, Sunderland and Leeds. Just while you're talking about that kind of theme, um, I'm just curious to know when you, you talk about um, dynamics and you mentioned backstabbing Bridgie and you talked about some things, Thomas, what does that manifest as? Is it on the training park, you know, that you might, someone might be a bit sneaky with who they're passing to? Is it, is it dynamics like social groups in the room? What are the biggest ways that those kind of issues manifest that you're talking about? It's clicks. It's clicks in the dressing room. And, you know, it's, it's certain things that when things get said that the players should, should know and the players we keep in-house and the staff find out about it. Yeah, right. there's, there's, a, yeah, there's always somebody that, I call them the little weasel, that'll go and, and say stuff um, or a spy in the camp. Um, we, you know, when I was at Hull City under Phil Brown, he had, he had one there. Um, he, he was getting a game and he would always find things out that were getting said in the dressing room and the boys are going, hang on, what? How did he find out that we were doing this and that? And, you know, we, we went on a mission to find out who, on a witch hunt to find out who it was. And so th- them kind of things go on. Now, Dave, the timing of this is impeccable because if you now think what's happened in the last two or three days at Arsenal Football mm, Club, mm, mm. there's going to be massive consequences come from what um, Ozil has done in that dressing room because he's agreed that he does not want to take a pay cut. He's the highest paid player at that football club. He said, I don't want to take a 12% wage deduction. Um, the players of, I think the club have said if they make the Champions League, they will be reimbursed that money, but they're going to have to take, you know, some side. He has not wanted to do it along with two other players. How has that got out into the media? Mm. Point. You tell me. The club's, either, the club's either released it or they've got somebody in their dressing room. The, mm. the culture at Arsenal Football Club, no wonder Unai Emery couldn't get success. In there is something horrendously bad going on behind the scenes, they have got the a horrendous culture for trying to keep things in-house. There is a, a lot of people are out for their own agendas there. It's and funny, that is I, the, this is the key principle. Yeah, I read an, a, sort of a bit of a um, apologist view for Ozil this morning about how um, he actually wants to make sure that the, the, the club's finances are in order. What are they going to do with this pay cut? But that horse has bolted because the damage done by those initial leaks through the tabloids there's no coming back yeah. for him. But somebody's tr- yeah. somebody has tried to out him and make him a scapegoat. Yeah. Now, I, I can't defend what he's done because I don't know the circumstances because I've seen Ozil doing a lot of stuff for charities. Yeah. He's yeah. got his own charities. He donated it on his wedding day. I think he gave a thousand meals out to people from the homeless or something like that. People have got their own charities that they deal with. So he has been outed by one of his colleagues or somebody at that football club and that to me stinks. Mm. How weird was this? Yeah. yeah, sorry, Thomas. Go on, go on. Yeah, you know, but just to add to that, but but it, it works both ways. You know, you you got the the as you say the the weasels in the dressing room that uh, undermine things and uh, have their own agendas, um, either to get you know back on the pitch or, or or show that they don't care or force a move out out of the club. But but you also have it from from the other point. Uh, the clubs the the clubs have an agenda as well, and, and managers have an agenda. You know, the club, if they want to get rid of Ursula, it's in their interest to get this out uh, as soon as possible. Uh, yeah. uh, so, so, so you can't really be blind to the politics that, that go on. You know, I've, I've, I was part of that at, at Stoke City. I, there, there had been some interest through my aid from, from another club and, and I wanted to stay at Stoke. And I had a meeting with Tony Pulis and, uh, and I said to him, you know, between you and me, you know, I'm staying. Let's let let bury this. Uh, you know, you got my word, uh, and then that still made it out, and and he put it out because he had an interest then to because uh, he wanted uh, you know a bit of uh, he wanted a bit of le- leverage to 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 sign another keeper just in case I was I was leaving. Um, so so he didn't you know so so it, it works both ways, and you just got to it, it, it's it's the it's it's the environment um, that that you just got to deal with, and it's tough at times and. Uh, especially in the dressing room when you're in there and, and, and you've got players not working uh, in the right direction. I mean, that's the big one, Tommy. Players not working in the right direction or you get them players that are coming to training and they go through the motions. You know they're not putting it in. They're not doing the prehab. They're not doing the rehabilitation. You can see them skiving. That's when I think when you've got a good group of players, then they recognise that. And it's not just the captain that needs to say something. It's, it's a, you know, a collective that will say, come on, you're not pulling your weight. Do that, sort that out, or come and do this. And when you've got a weak culture and players are allowed to get away with certain things, Dave, what that does, that, that spreads 
and other younger players they'll go oh well if he's not doing it I don't need to do it so that, that's that's what I mean it's you know you, you get you'll you'll get the lads that are out for themselves but you also you need a group and they need to understand that if somebody's not pulling their weight they need to be told but there's a way about telling them and you know it's, it's some of the things I, I experienced at Leeds United that's what we had Thomas, we had players that were happy to stand up the Stoke reference you made is interesting because um the whole cold, wet, windy night at Stoke stereotype or cliche, I would have imagined from <laughs> outside in that you would have needed to all be sort of so on the same page and so ready to go into battle, whether it's just for yourself, for your club, for the manager, I, I don't know. How was that created? Because um, you mentioned that as you went through your career, you started to see different types of dressing rooms. How was that one compared to your early career to create such a... I mean, that's a thing, cold, wet, what? cold, wet, windy night at Stoke. That's something people still reference. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it was, you know, you've got to give Tony Pulis a lot of, a lot of credit. Um, you know, I think he installed, you know, I, I joined from, from Aston Villa and it was sort of a, you know, fairly last minute. It would definitely, you know, it, you know I had other clubs that I talked to. And, uh, but as soon as I brought in, it was, it was just very basic. Uh, and all we heard, it was like a brainwashing. Like, it's just us against the world. You know, nobody, you know, nobody around this league, everyone is laughing at us. You know, everyone, you know, you know everyone's got, you know, the odds of us going down, uh, you know, you know, it's a certain thing. Yeah, and all, all these things, you know, and he, he was very good at creating and also putting it together. You know, he looked at what we had. You know, we, we, we didn't have fancy players. We had a couple like... We he was actually a, a very good player, but Jamaican, and and uh, and had his uh, relaxed periods where he didn't do what he needed to do. But but on his day, a fantastic player. But but you know we, we were blue collar players. Uh, you know you know Danny Hickenbottom, Boyd Lap, uh, Ryan Shawcross, Glenn Whelan. You know all those uh, players, and and he put together Land of the Giants. We used to call you Land of the Giants. I used to stand yeah. in that tunnel and look up and go, "My God, we're going to get kicked from pillar to post here." <laughs> yeah, no. So he put a game a game plan that f- fitted right into the uh, windy, wet nights at, at Stoke. You know, just you know, being physical. Um, you know, put the ball in the air, uh, make make the other team. You know, make the other team uh, beat you physically, uh, and I think. You know, one of the, the things that really stood out to me, and I, I actually got in a bit of a, you know, we talked about Arsenal, but, uh, you know, when they came from, you know, travel up from London, uh, you know, at that time, you know, so well known for, for their fantastic play on the Wenger. Uh, and, uh, you know, just standing there on a Tuesday night in the tunnel, uh, just looking out, the, 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 the wind and rain sideways, and you looked at them. And we had already won the game. You could just look in their faces, um, you know, just didn't fancy it whatsoever. Fan Percy, you know, they were just standing there, heads down. You know, can, can we get back on the bus and, and leave? And, and, and I actually got into a bit of trouble with Wenger afterwards that I, I actually came out and called them a bit of a, a spineless team because they couldn't stand up to us. He <laughs> took that a little bit personal. But, uh, uh, but yeah, no, that was a move. <laughs> yeah, it probably did. Um, uh, no, so th- those are the things that the aura that we created, and uh, it, you know, I, I didn't want to. You know, had I been on the opposite side, I would have hated it as well. You know, you had Roy Delap throwing the ball in fifty times a game, and you had to contest the balls in the in the box. And uh, yeah, as Bridgie said, we had uh, about uh, five uh, five players over six foot five, and and uh, yeah, it, it was a great game plan, and it worked, and nobody nobody liked us. Uh, but we loved it. Uh, it was, it, and the fans loved it. Uh, it was just a, a, a great time. It just shows that football can played in so can be played in so many ways. You got to take advantage of your situations. And we had wind at Britannia. The, the Britannia Stadium is sort of a little bit on a on a rise, and, and there's a, an, an open corner from the prevailing wind uh, side, and and you always had this sweeping cold wind coming across, and and, and you learn to play to those conditions, um, and, and we took advantage of it. So, yeah, um, that's how football is. You must be the only goalkeeper on the planet that enjoyed playing there. 
<laughs> I had to play there. <laughs> and, and to be fair, it was a little bit like up at Sunderland. Uh, you know, there was always a swirling wind in the stadium up at Sunderland. Uh, you can't obviously see it on the TV, but, but then when you went down to London or further down south, you know, it, it's, it was definitely not uh, as testing conditions. Um, so, yeah, so there are some grounds that are hard to play in. But when you get, you know, when you play there week in, week in, you, week in, week in, uh, you know, you, you learn to, you know, to predict the conditions and, and you can take them uh, and, and work them to your advantage. And, um, you know, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure we did at Sunderland as well at times. Dave, the reason Tommy enjoyed playing for Stoke in them conditions, because when the wind blew and they actually won the toss, and they got the kick with the wind first half, as they wanted to. Tommy's stats went through the roof because he had a big <laughs> kick anyway, right? So when it, the amount of shots on target Tommy actually got in the first half of games was incredible. Because the players didn't win the headers to flick on, it was class as a shot on target. So there you go. That's yeah. why he was buzzing. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, it was a good time for stats. Yeah, but not ever not. Remember your, remember your goal. Hang on, Dave. Sorry. Remember your goal you set up for me at Sunderland with your long kick at Everton at Goodison Park from one end of the field to the other and I took a touch and put it in the bottom corner. Yeah, uh, I'll give uh, you the this, this guy I'll has, give you the, this guy <laughs> I'll give you the most credit. Go on. Yeah, no, I'll say I'll give you the most credit for, 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 for that. Uh, for me, it was just a, a, a boot, uh, a long boot and uh, you, you, know, you controlled it, you finished it. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think you should take that and, and stick it on your wall, not on my wall. I'll do that. Thank you, mate. <laughs> you mentioned Van Persie in the tunnel, Thomas. I just want to know, uh, Bridgie and Scott's best 11s did the rounds last week. They were so fun to watch. I just want to know as a goalkeeper, though, Thomas, in the Premier League or the World Cup or the Euros, wherever you were, um, Van Persie on a Colbert windy night in Stoke probably doesn't make the top five, but I want to know who the five most <laughs> difficult, tricky, slippery, surprisingly good strikers were that you came up against during your time. You know, now, don't I, embarrass I, us here, Thomas, please. Don't embarrass <laughs> us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think, uh, you know, they're, they're, there's different kind of strikers. You know, they're, 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 they're the annoying ones, the ones that chase down every ball, the ones that lurk in the box, the ones that, that are physical. Uh, and then you've got the skillful strikers that has the, the abundance of ability. You know, I, I think at the top of the list, you've got to look at uh, Ronaldo uh, just for his, his, you know, his all-round game. You know, he, he would be a handful in the box with his headers, uh, his free kicks. He scored, he's, he's, he's actually scored, I think, two or three against me on his free kicks. I, 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 probably, <laughs> I, I, I got embarrassed there a little bit. Um, uh, and just from any angle, from any distance, uh, you just got to be uh, alert. Um, uh, and, and then, you know, um, uh, Paul, in my early days, Paul Dickhoff, uh, uh, just an annoying little player. You know, not, uh, he, he won't go any, on any, yeah, just someone that, you know, you never gave you a, a second of rest, uh, would chase, would harass, who would be, you know, just coming in a bit late every time, you know, just giving it a nudge. And you knew, like, if you were coming sliding out for a ball, you knew he would be studs first, uh, even though he, he wasn't, uh, you know, those are the players that, that you just come to, to, to hate um, uh, from, from, from their just tenacity. Uh, and, and then, you know, uh, I think for, from an annoying uh, Craig Bellamy, uh, maybe not so much for yeah he's, he's, he was a good player but he was just constantly talking you know you would be on a corner he would be in your face in your ear you know just constantly yapping away um, and uh, and you just knew you know that you'd have to deal with him not from a football perspective but from a concentration perspective every single game uh, and it wasn't nice words that were coming but uh, you know, you just have to deal with it. Um, Tommy, he was even a pain in the arse, mate, when he was in the same team as you. So don't worry, you're not, you're not, you're not be the first and last there, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then um, I would pick um, Terry Henry uh, for, for for a similar reason to um, to to Ronaldo. Just uh, amazing uh, ability uh, at his as his. At his height for Arsenal, uh, just the, the pace and the skill. 
was was out of this world. Uh, again, one of the players that, that got the better of me uh, over his time, uh, as he did uh, over many goalkeepers for sure and defenders. Uh, yeah, so that that that, that definitely uh, he's up there. Um, oh, uh, you know, I wouldn't have liked to have played against uh, Kevin Phillips. You know, just for the efficiency. Uh, I played against him a couple of times, probably not in his 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 heyday, but later in his career when he was. Uh, when he was at Leicester and, and uh, Aston Villa, um, but uh, you know, just efficient. You know, Bridgie would, would would account to it. You know, when we had shooting sessions back in my Sunderland day, just the amount of times you could put in the in, in the corner, uh, he wouldn't miss many. Just the um, you know the the quality of, of strike and the precision, um, and and it was nine out of ten all the time. Uh, and that's why he was such a great goal scorer. He, he could find the corners under pressure, not under pressure. Uh, so to me, that 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 ranks highly up there uh, because those are, you know, those are the, the, the top strikers, the ones that, that don't miss many chances. And at number six, Michael Bridges. Yeah, I didn't play that man. I, you know, again, uh, yeah, I would love to, Bridgie, but uh, I scored uh, against you at Rock um, at Stadium Elite, so don't forget that one. Yeah, no, I don't. But uh, that, that's my, that, that's maybe the problem. Like you, you've annoyed me too much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm happy not to get in that top five, Dave. That's not bad. What about like from the show on the other foot? Was there anyone you mentioned? You named your teammates eleven last week, Bridget. But was there someone that you were? I don't know if envious is the right word. But when you were on the other side of the pitch to them, you knew your team was 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 going to be in front of you knew that you'd probably have to get on the score sheet if, if your team was going to get the three points well that would be Alan Shearer without a shadow of a doubt whenever he was playing against you you knew that the boys didn't matter who was your defender they were going to get hurt they were in for a battle and the two times the same season when we played for Leeds United against Newcastle Alan scored two at Ellen Road um, thankfully I got the winner to make it 3-2 we beat them there and yet again Alan got two at St James's Park and we drew 2-2 with an Ian Hart penalty so Shearer was always the one that you saw on that team sheet you were like oh my god how are we got to contain him today because he, he had everything so that was the one that put the fear of God into everybody Although just to end off one of us in this conversation has saved the penalty off Alan Shearer two actually so uh... on FIFA <laughs> <laughs> you did, you can, you, can, you can you just start? That's right. Laugh. <laughs> oh dear. What was that? That must have been. Uh, that must have been quite the theatre, Thomas. To and a nice one to end us off today. Um, uh, that moment that, that you thwarted Alan from the spot. Yeah, you know, again, it, it, it's in your in the in the moment. It, it's obviously just a, a part of the game, and and um, you know, it came late. Uh, I think actually, Niall Quinn uh, had sort of worked his way down our box and and bundled. Uh, I can't remember who uh, of the Newcastle players over, and and uh, with about seven or eight minutes left of the game, and we were two one up. Uh, and again, you know, with the aura, like Bridget talked about it, I could have put Alan Shearer in in, in the top five. You know, for you know, just for for the for what he meant for Newcastle, uh, for the fans there and everything else. And, and just, you know, he was well known for, for being a, a great penalty taker. So, so I, again, I wasn't given probably much chance and um, I tried to outsmart him and, and it worked. And uh, it's what I'm remembered for. It's, it's funny that uh, sometimes in football you can play uh, for 10 years and, and not be remembered. And then you can play for 10 seconds and you can be remembered forever. You know, that that's the game. And uh, certainly, um, you know, that night uh, has only grown in significance because, you know, in the game and after the game, we were happy that we won. Uh, but it, it obviously just slowly sort of uh, hit me that uh, it was actually a big moment for the Sunderland fans because it was Alan Shearer, because we won and it was our, our time back in the Premier League and, uh, and, and all those things adding together uh, just, um, again... Uh, just wrote it into the, to the history books, which is obviously a nice, nice thing to have uh, now, uh, whatever, 20, 20 years later. Goalkeepers can have moments of infamy and be remembered for that. So I think that's a nice one to be remembered by Thomas if it's going to be a, a one moment in time. Gentlemen, I've got, I've got a countdown clock counting us down with 90 seconds to go. So I'm going to love and leave <laughs> you both. It's great to see you both again, particularly Thomas, it's been a while. 
as well. We'll do it all again because just like every chat, we could go for hours and uh, we only covered a snippet of the stories you guys have got up your sleeve. So however long this isolation goes for, we've got a lot more fun to have together walking down memory lane. Take care, both of you, and thanks again for your time. Stay safe, brothers. Thank you, Dave. Stay safe, Tommy. Like you said, keep exercising, keep the mind set in the right direction, and I'll see you on the other side of this. Stay safe. Yeah, well said. He here and to everyone out there as ever. Until the next Gagan pod, stay safe, uh, look after yourselves, and we'll be back again next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.